0: Well, we are up to part part 10 of a 14-week series on Leviticus. How have you been going? Has it been good? Yes? Has it been challenging? Yeah? But you've been learning something new? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, 12 months ago, um, I was uh, in Cam's office and we were just having a meeting, as we often do, and talking about the Kids' Kingdom um, program and how we were preaching along with the series. Uh, So that was 12 months ago. He said, I think God's calling me to preach a series on Leviticus. And I said, you're kidding. You want me to teach Leviticus to children? (laughs) Um, And I actually don't remember what Cam said because immediately it's like God said, remember when you read Leviticus and you found some real gems in there about holiness, my holiness, my call to the people to be holy, and some seriously good stuff about social justice. So um, I can tell you we've been having lots of fun in Kids Kingdom uh, as we've taught them some of the things that happened back then and what that means today. Um, Last week, we didn't actually address sexual immorality like you guys did. We looked at faithfulness because um, last week's message really um, was about adultery, you know, the things that you might do outside of marriage. And so we looked at faithfulness. We talked about God's faithfulness. We talked about being faithful friends. And then we talked about marriage. So you can see how even something as meaty, if you like, uh, can be brought down to essential values. I don't think that you'll um, have so much trouble with this particular message because, as I say, um, there's a lot about social justice stuff that uh, applies directly to us. So, it's um, helpfully titled... (laughs) Where did my... there it goes... Um, Holiness in Personal Conduct in the um, New Living Translation. And that's really what this chapter is all about. It's about how God wants us to be holy in every part of our life. So the first principle is the principle of holy humanity. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. This one reminds us that um, the Lord God spoke into being this book, this book of Leviticus. Uh, Moses didn't dream up the rules for the priesthood or the sacrificial system. He spoke them first to Moses and sometimes to Aaron and it was written down as God spoke it. So he says, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So throughout Leviticus so far, there's been this growing understanding of the holiness of God and the holiness that he brings to his people. God himself is holy or completely other than us in holiness. The angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we cannot be holy except that God touches us. And so in Leviticus, we've seen that, the the word consecrate. So uh, in chapter 11, it says this I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. So that word consecrate has been used quite a bit. It means with or to make sacred. To make sacred, consecrate. And so. In the earlier parts of Leviticus, we've seen the ways in which the people consecrated themselves, they prepared themselves, uh, usually by washing, abstaining from food and other things, um, and how the animal sacrifice was consecrated, and how the whole process of observing ritual consecrated or made holy or special or different or sacred the people of God. Uh, then we come in verse, uh, chapter 11 to some of the rules and regulations where the people actually got a choice whether they were going to obey or not. And if they obeyed these rules about how to deal with infectious diseases, for example, or whether to eat clean or unclean foods, they were making a choice to consecrate themselves and be holy. But now we're coming to something slightly different because God says, be holy. James picks up this idea when he um, says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So it's like God is holy and pure, pure light. He doesn't change ever like shifting shadows. His purity and his holiness remains, not like our own. You know, we tend to shift and change depending on the mood of the moment pretty much. But everything that God gives to us is good and a perfect gift from above. So this command to be holy is like that. So when uh, Cam took us through chapter 18 last, uh, last week and talked about all of the uh, sexual sin that was indulged in by Canaan and by the Egyptians, he says this. You must not do as they did in Egypt where you used to live and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. So here we have that idea of being different to the people that are around you. That is the call to holiness. It is to be separate from what is common or what is unclean around us. But it goes on to say, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. And so that's God given life when we obey him. God given life when we say yes to God. When he prompts us and convicts us, be holy as I am holy. So The rest of chapter 19 continues to be about relationships. That first verse is about our relationship with God, holy humanity. The second principle looks at the holy home. Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So the relational law here is about the family family relationship with God or God's relationship in the home the most intimate of our relationships. One feature of this chapter is that we will find all the Ten Commandments there slightly restated and and taught upon. So here the Fifth Command and the Fourth Command they're switched around as if expanding our understanding. Many of the laws in Chapter 18 were about the protection of women and in keeping with that the statement about honouring parents is switched around. Honour your mother and your father. So just emphasising that women are uh, to be respected and honoured in the home, not just the father or not just the parents together. And then as a family, the family attends the Sabbath worship. The family takes time to rest from their work. The family takes time to play together and socialise. All the things that we value about our our holy um, Sabbath, our Sunday. And note that the heart of God is emphasised constantly in this chapter. Why should you do this? Because I am the Lord your God. It's not that God is saying, you have to do this because I say so. It's because God is saying, I am your God. These are good laws that will give you life. There are Christians today who believe that the Ten Commandments are less important than they used to be. But Jesus is very clear. He says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfil them. We've seen how Jesus has fulfilled the law the laws that we've looked at uh, before this, the sacrificial laws, for example, the uh, law of the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement was that one day in the year that the priests made special offerings in order to take sin away from all of the Israelites. But we know that Jesus came and died once for all people, a sacrifice for sin, in order that we can know that oneness, that presence with God. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and everyone that comes through him can know God, not as just as creator God, but as heavenly father. So Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets and all of the ten commandments are still uh, applicable to us. So Let us continue as we're doing today to make a regular practice of taking a holy day of rest. Verse 4 continues, Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. This has been dealt with a bit already, last week in fact, and Cam made the point that when we commit ourselves to something other than God, we're going into idolatry. And when we do that, we are more likely for the whole family to be involved in something that's other than God and for our children to take that on. Um, Anything that comes second to what God wants for our lives is a form of idolatry. We're putting that before God. So any of those things that make you push God aside in your life, It can be idolatry. We need to work that one through. What is God saying to our family? What are his priorities? And we need to remember that we respond not to what people are wanting for us or even what we might want for ourselves, but first is what's God saying for our lives? So we go on. And we start to look now at uh, the principle of uh, relational holiness, I've called it. What kind of society do you think that we could expect if all people sought to be holy as God is holy? Well, let's find out. Verse 9 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, that's the leftovers, Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So God is saying, actually, I own the land. It is my blessing to you that you live in it. And what I say is that you don't harvest everything and keep everything for yourself. Make a way for the... Poor in your society to be able to work for themselves, to be able to feed themselves. It's a kind of different notion for us. We tend to think of everything that we have as ours and then we might sacrificially offer something to God. But actually the principle remains the same. God's requirement is that we make a regular allotment to care for the poor, so just as um, we, we have uh, strength, we have health, uh, we have genetic abilities that give us our work and our income, these things are not actually something that are ours alone. They've been gifted to us by God. We have no say over our genetic inheritance or our family inheritance if we've inherited wealth. All of these things are gifts from God. If we live on a pension, that too is a gift. If it comes from the government, obviously, but sometimes we have other sorts of pensions, they are still something that is inherently from God first. And so um, God requires that we give back to him, either in our church offering, much of which goes to uh, charitable things, or specifically making donations for the poor. So verse 11, do not steal. Um, This is the eighth commandment. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. That expands the ninth commandment that actually talks about not giving false testimony. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So that restates the third commandment about blasphemy. Do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. This expands on the eighth commandment. Do not steal. All of these are examples of righteous and holy living with our neighbour and our community. The chapter goes on. Do not curse the deaf. Or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. God himself stands up for the poor, the disabled, any who might be treated poorly because of their, badly because of their situation in life. And he says, created in my image, my people, treat them with respect. Verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. All the major prophets, incidentally, use that particular verse to say judgment is coming and exile is coming because you pervert justice and you don't treat the poor well. Um, Going on to verse 16 do not go about spreading slander among your people. Tell that to the internet. It's very common for us to speak badly of others and to spread that. And I hope that's not amongst ourselves, but I'm saying in our society, it's very common, yes? I think 80% of what I read on the internet has a negative slant on it. Uh, Verse 17, Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Note the godly confrontation and accountability here. Actually I shared that with my hairdresser this week and she was just asking you know, what I was doing and so I shared a little bit about my uh, mes- message and she, I got to that point and she said, oh, my neighbour just did that across the road and she explained the situation and how her neighbour had gone to her neighbour and confronted the issue and sorted it out. So it goes on. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Does that bit sound familiar? This is where Jesus got it from, here in Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbour as yourself. He calls it the second greatest commandment in all of scripture. The first, of course, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. But the second, he said, is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Tucked into this passage of scripture in a range of other commands about relational holiness. What would society look like if every person was intent on loving their neighbour as themselves? In fact, Jesus went uh, on to preach a little bit about this particular passage of scripture. He, um, in in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he regularly corrected the Israelites' view of what the law said. It was not that the words were changed necessarily, although in this case they have been, but the spirit and God's heart needed to be brought to the Israelites. So in Matthew 5, uh, 43 to 48, Jesus teaches this. You have heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, which is interesting. There is nothing about hatred in that passage except do not uh, hate your brother or take revenge. Love your neighbour and hate your enemy is what they thought. But I tell you, says Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So you see here that Jesus actually brings in a new element to that teaching of loving a neighbor not just your neighbor love your enemies your father in heaven causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous so why do we love our enemies because that's how God's love works and he calls us to be like him If you love those who love you, it says in verse 46, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, says Jesus, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's actually paraphrasing the command to be holy. And he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven, is perfect. You see, God is morally perfect. That's one definition of holiness. So Jesus paraphrases the call to be holy and and calls holiness perfection. It means that we should therefore be careful to obey everything that God teaches us, that kind of moral perfection. When Jesus teaches this very same um, message or similar message in Luke, He actually ends it quite a little differently. He says, Be merciful to people, to your enemies, just as your Father is merciful. So there we see Jesus paraphrasing and using words that people might be able to relate to better than holiness. Holiness is actually very difficult to define. But being morally perfect and being merciful is something that we can at least understand. So the next section of uh, chapter 19 really brings out a principle of holiness in the land. The focus is on reclaiming the land of Canaan from the way that the people have lived and have actually polluted the land. This is going to be God's land now. His land that is set aside for good purposes uh, to be holy. So I've summarised this just to make it a bit quicker. So verse 19 do not mix what God has created unique and separate. So do not make different kinds of animals, uh, do not sow different kinds of seed in the same field and do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Remember, we are understanding this in the context of making the land of Canaan holy. Uh, Verses 20 to 22, there is recourse to the law there for slave girls. In keeping with the tone of chapter 18, even slave girls uh, were not to be sexually abused. Verses 23 to 25. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. Now, if you've planted a fruit tree, you know that you really have to wait a few years before you get a good crop. And God is saying, bring holiness to the land. By allowing that tree to grow and see that fruit as a sacrifice or an offering to me for the fir- until the fifth year um, goes on verses twenty six to thirty one do not practice divination or seek omens do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists it 's not a law that has changed these things are dangerous they 're not of God um, in this Uh, law giving that God also includes things that were associated with the Canaanite practices so do not eat blood do not cut your hair the way they do do not cut your bodies or tattoo yourself for the dead all associated with that kind of divination and verse 29 do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute the Israelites were going to a land that the children, um, girls mostly, but also some boys, were sold to the temples uh, to become temple prostitutes, another form of sexual abuse that God was against. So, instead of the ways of Canaan, God expects the Israelites to respect him and his laws and his people Verse thirty, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. God brings the people back to what is important, what will keep them focused on Him and what His will is for their life. And good for us today. It is something that most people do actually, if you know something has separated you from God for a time. It is good to get back, to worship together and to um, give praise and reverence to God. And then in verse 32, God says a similar thing about his people, the wisest amongst his people. He says this, Stand up in the presence of the aged and show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Don't you love the way that God associates his name and his weight of authority, whenever dealing with people that could be vulnerable, the poor, uh, the disabled, and here the elderly. And, and what he's saying, of course, is that the elderly have a whole heap of life experience and wisdom that you need to respect. Um, in our current lifestyle, where we're often separated from family, Sometimes uh, families, young families won't have elderly people uh, associated with them on a a regular basis. And I encourage you, we have lots of wonderful elderly people here who have great life experience, who have been following God most of their lives. And um, I'm sure they would love to join in with some young families. Okay, so... Rounding out the chapter, a principle whoop, of um, holy hospitality and trade or holy relationships with strangers. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not ill-treat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. I am the Lord your God. Love them As yourself, a restating of the command to love your neighbour as yourself. So these might be strangers and foreigners, but you love them as yourself, just the same as a neighbour. It goes on to trade do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights. I am the Lord your God. So loving your neighbour or your stranger requires integrity and honesty. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. So that is the chapter uh, 19 of Leviticus. You can see lots of really helpful common sense maybe uh, ways to get along both with God and with people. So I want to just give you three filters as you reflect on these laws. There's a long list, really, of good laws for holy living and that's just one chapter (laughs) of the entire Bible. Um, Except for some things that relate only to the historical setting of the Israelites settling into Canaan, the laws we've just examined will keep us in good relationship with God and with people. Observing the Sabbath as a family, giving to the poor, Confronting people's wrongdoing rather than nursing hatred. Showing respect for the elderly. All are examples of godly laws that the person who obeys them will live by them. They bring life to us because when we obey God, we cooperate with his will for our lives. So God calls us to a holy life. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And when our heart and our soul and our mind says, yes, amen, our hearts are aligned with God's heart for us. We become more like him. We become closer to him and know him better. So let us call that, hear that call and uh, be more his sons and daughters. Live life in love. Jesus made it practical. He said all the law hangs on two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. So how do we love the Lord (laughs) with all our heart and soul and our mind and our strength? So one way that I've heard that that is helpful is to have God in mind through the day. Keep asking yourself this question. Is this the right thing, God, for right now? Is this the right thing for right now? And God will give you a sense. He might speak to you, or he'll give you a sense of rightness um, the way he wants you to live out your day. So, for example, um, it's a housework day and you're home. Uh, the kids are at, at school, so you know, you've know you got the place to yourself. And you think, oh, I think I'll just have a cup of coffee pick up a chocolate biscuit and read my book. And two hours later, <laughs> it's time to go get the kids from school and the housework didn't get done. But if at a point of decision, you say, God, is this the right thing for right now? God is likely to say you need a rest. Take 15 minutes for yourself. Or he might say, get your housework finished first and then you'll have all the rest of that uh, time to do what you want. But God will answer you when you ask him that question. Jesus said that the other second commandment was like the first. So in other words, um, to love people the way we love ourselves. We love ourselves in practical ways. We take care of ourselves. We want the best for ourselves. We work to secure our future. As we encounter people, we can ask the same question of God. Lord, what is the right thing right now for this person or this um, situation? So you might be at work and you're considering what discount to give to your customer. You might be inclined to give a higher discount because you like a customer. Or there may be another way to work that out. And so you, you ask God, what's the right thing right now for this person or perhaps the phone rings when you're at home and it's somebody wanting a donation for charity. Again, we can ask that question of God. What's the right thing right now for this, um, this charity? So finally, I would say, receive God's Holy Spirit. So we've looked at answering the call to holiness, living a life in love, but the absolute honest truth is whenever we look at a list of rules we see ourselves there as having not measured up. Yeah? You know, when God was speaking all this stuff to Moses he already knew that and he had planned for Jesus to come. To die once for all people for the sacrifice of our sin so that we could be forgiven and made right with God. He rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father where he prays for us, intercedes for us. And he poured out his Holy Spirit. The scripture tells us to keep being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, is what what uh, the prophecy says. All people. So the Holy Spirit is right here. No matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, the Holy Spirit's here, poured out upon you. But when you believe in Jesus, when you receive Jesus, you receive his Holy Spirit. But the scripture says, keep being filled with the Spirit. It's a good daily prayer. God, (laughs) I need your Spirit to speak to me today that I can live the way you want me to. Um, I need your strength to live and do what I need to do. I need your guidance. So as we close, I'd like to just think of a few ways that you might not have considered when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. Let's just quiet ourselves. What does God want us to take out of this? How often do we ask, God, fill me with your spirit? The promise is that God fills us to the fullness of his measure. The fullness. Do we feel like we've received fullness? Or do we feel like we're half empty? We can always pray, God, fill me with your spirit. If we haven't received Jesus, if that's a decision that hasn't been nailed down for us, now's a good time to make that decision. Jesus, I know you're a good, good God. I know that everything that you taught and everything you did on the earth was good. And I know that you went to the cross, not because you had to, not because others forced it upon you, but because in fact you sacrificed Yourself for me. And I thank you, and I ask you to be my Saviour, and I ask you to fill me with Yourself so that I can know You. Our Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, that anyone that comes to Him may know God as the Heavenly Father. And if you're in that position, that uh, You have received Jesus but you haven't been baptised. The promise of scripture is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and be baptised and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a gift of the Holy Spirit um, that comes with supernatural confirmation. If you've not been baptised, go for it. It comes with a special supernatural gift from God. And if you've not been prayed for to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you don't know whether you've received the Holy Spirit, ask someone to pray with you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray for us as a people. Wherever we're at right now, we know that your laws are holy. We know that you're holy. But we know, Lord, that we often are not holy, that unlike you, we do change like shadows, shifting shadows. And we're just thankful that you have a provision for us always in Jesus Christ, that that never changes, that the love that you poured out for us never changes, that the forgiveness that you poured out from the cross never changes. Thank you that we can live there. And in this high calling that we have to be holy, we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit. And we thank you. We bless your wonderful name for your desires for your people, for how you see us, the expectations you have, that we can actually fulfill them in you and through you. Amen. Thank you, worship team.